Welcome to the Dog Show Show podcast, presented by the Staffordshire Bull Terrier Society of New South Wales and featuring Kim Reader. Uh, welcome to the latest episode of the Dog Show Show, and this is a momentous event for us because we have our very first ever guest. Yes. That's apart not, from Kimmy. Apart from, well, Kim's, Kim. Kim's part of the show. <laughs> Kimmy, no one calls her Kimmy. You know the rules. <laughs> so, <laughs> so mystery guest, um, please do us the pl- do us the honour of introducing yourself. Oh, I'm Wendy Slatier. Yeah. My prefix is Kalahora, and I breed Afghan hounds and whippets. Afghan hounds and whippets. What? Tell us what an Afghan hound is. A very, very special, ancient. Um, excuse me, East Asiatic greyhound type breed. Right. Uh, owned by the Amirs of Afghanistan. Uh, their descendants there are still called Tazis, which is the native word for them. Very efficient hunting hound. Major prey was the chamois deer. Wow. <coughs> excuse me. A hunting. So when you, and, uh, Kim uses this word as well, ancient, ancient breed. Does that? What does that mean? Like, does that mean? Like they're as close to the wolf version of their uh, self as they. Yeah, well, they're yeah, they're the sighthound breeds, which are basically greyhounds, are about the oldest type in the world, other than the wolf itself. They're wow. not considered to have uh, much descent from the Asian wolf, which is where the um, most dogs come from. Yeah. Uh, they're the sort of thing you found them in the tombs of the pharaohs, etc. Wow. Greyhound type dogs, so they're a long dog. Uh, with long legs that were very efficient hunting dogs. Wow, that the Afghan was Barbie. Afghan was the one you fell in love with at the dog show, yeah, wasn't it? With the hair flowing, the beautiful yeah, flowing beautiful. hair, very glamorous. Yeah, <laughs> beautiful. And the other one is whippets. The whippet, yes, basically developed in England. Another sighthound, another uh, very efficient hunting breed. Um, their <coughs> excuse me, their main prey was our rabbits and hares. And they were developed in England, but they go back to the greyhound type, which the Romans took into England originally, the greyhounds and the Italian greyhounds, which were the tiny version. They were the laptop version for the ladies and the greyhounds Mm. were the bigger version for the uh, coursing and hunting. And the whippet was developed in between in the middle. Wow. So that both of those dogs, and, and I'm assuming the greyhound as well, they're all hunting breeds. Yes, definitely. Wow. Well, I, don't, I guess we don't think of any of them as hunting dogs, Hunters, do we? Mm. Mm, well, the coursing is probably a better word because they coursed uh, live game. They, they're not a hunting dog like a, a gun dog type dog that okay. retrieves game, you know, that's been shot over by people. They're a, mm. a free-ranging dog, so coursing is probably more accurate. But, yes, they're a hunting breed. And what is coursing exactly like? Is uh, it- that is that is coursing a hare or a fox or a, a rabbit, a uh, deer, chamois deer. So uh, rounding them up. Uh, chasing them, and them, and chasing the them with the intent out. to dispatch them. Yeah, no, they don't herd them. They're not herding dogs, they're no, hunting. No. They're, they're chasing the game with the intent of catching it and killing it. And killing it. Wow. Yeah. Whether, whether So if they got to the, the game first, they'd kill it and then the humans... Ah, uh, yes, they grab it, it. grab it by the back of the neck behind the ears. They'll, they'll grab their game there yep. and literally shake them and break their neck. And de- That's how they hunt. And de- they don't de- tear de- their game. They don't savage their game. They don't eat their game. They bring it down. Break the... Yeah. Wow. 
Sounds like a handy handy dog to have, doesn't it? Like, <laughs> like in that uh, in that world, in that environment. Oh well, in their environment, yes, yeah. they were a huge help to mankind in their environment. Yes. So we we did a uh, an episode last time we recorded together about breed standards, and you know we keep hearing about this um, fit for purpose and things like that. Yes. Uh, when you when you judge one of these animals at a dog show, what are you looking for? Oh, well, it's like every breed. There's a written standard of perfection for every breed yep. that is exhibited. And so you're looking for the dog with the most hallmarks that comes nearest to that written standard of perfection. But you should also be assessing, you know, the fit for life, the fit for purpose, the athleticism, the ability, uh, the mental attitude to do their job. All of those things are part of what should be in your mind when you're judging. So what would be a couple of the things that you'd look for in a good afkir? What would what would we we notice the beautiful flowing hair? Yeah, it's, it's just icing on the cake. It almost yeah, looks, that's right. It's, it's the least, literally. It's the least important least yeah. important part of an wow. Afghan hound is the, is the coat. They look um, like they're running in it. slow motion. They look beautiful. <laughs> yeah, well, it's uh, their standard is described as smooth and springy with a style of high order, and so mm. that's what you're seeing them go around the ring like that. Mm. But it should be very powerful. They should be poised. So if a rabbit did run across that show ring, an Afghan hound should see it and be after it if it could get away from its handler, and it <laughs> right. would be after it like a shot. Mm-hmm. So they should have that. They should have that convey to you that athleticism that that's what they were built for, and that's what they're still capable of doing. And they're ready to go. Would they? Yes. Would, would they do it? Would they actually? If, oh if yes, most would. would. Yes. Yes. Wow. So would rabbits. Yes. Yeah, if, if a rabbit ran across the ring, um, an Afghan hound, a saluki, um, certainly a whippet, certainly a greyhound, they would be after it as quickly as they could get after it. Wow. And they're called sight hounds as well, so that's part of their uh, whole anatomy is that they are a sight hound and that they can see things and they can be ready to go after it very, very quickly. Mm. So they'd see it before anyone else would? Yes, mm. yes, normally, yeah. Geez, it'd be impressive to watch, wouldn't it? <laughs> oh, yes. Well, see, they, they do. They still um, race them on racetracks and they still open field course them, which is a, an artificial yeah. lure laid around uh, polys, uh, pulley things. Yeah. And it's uh, the driver drives it in all directions. You know, it zips around and it turns off and it goes off in another direction. And if they're being judged for their ability at that, which is a separate title, well, then their ability to stay on that lure is very important. Hmm. So I'd ima- I can't imagine at the Royal Easter Show or anything like that they're going to run rabbits out. So I can't. Oh, no, no. Well, we never, you know, occasionally at country shows people will have, you know, a rabbit come into the ring, but it's very rare. But they mm. should convey the ability physically and mentally to do it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, um, we spoke about that, about the Staffy breed last week. They The ability to do it, but not necessarily doing it. The opportunities. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, they exactly. still should have the capacity to do it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. Well, they do yes. run the lure coursing at Orchard Hills, but yeah. it's yes. but it's with um a plastic bag more than a you know. Oh yes, an they use plastic yeah. bags. Yeah, mm-hmm. on the on the artificial lures, they use the plastic bags. Yes. Well, yeah, that's the. I mean, we see that in greyhound racing, don't we? we yeah. We, well, we, yeah, they're they're on a lure. Yeah. Yeah, but yes. they they. I mean, up until reasonably recently they would use an animal wouldn't they was that oh no, no. not no. not 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 no. legally in the last 50 years at least mm. yeah i would say reasonably recently like, yes yeah, yeah at long some point, before our time 
Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So they're not they're not used live animals legally for for many many years. What mm. what attracted you to the Afghan and the whippet? Uh, a lot of what I'm just talking about. They're um, primitive. They're athletic. Their natural ability. Their temperament is fantastic for their job. Yeah. Uh, they're beautiful to look at. Yeah. Um, you know, we always say the whippets look like porcelain on a steel frame. Um, wow. It's that whole independence thing. They they love their people, but they don't need them. They're not man-dependent. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't starve to death if they got lost in the bush. They'd live. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. All of those things. Did you have them from like a really young age? Was it something that your family had or...? Oh, no, no. My husband and I, uh, we got an Afghan the first year we were married. It was 1962, mm-hmm. and we got our first Afghan hound then, and we got our first whip at probably about, oh, I don't know, 10 years later or so, maybe longer. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I'm just thinking we've got our little our little daisy. Yes. And, and my wife accuses me sometimes that I love her, the daisy more than I love her. <laughs> would, would your yeah. husband say the same thing? You like the dogs better than me? <laughs> no, we, Stuart, Stuart and I absolutely mutually, 100%, uh, both involved in our breeds. Yeah. So how, how long after that did you start showing them? Uh, we got the first one, Christmas 62. We got mm. the first really uh, top quality one in uh, 63 and we started showing then. Wow. So right into it virtually. Straight away, yes, mm. yeah. yeah. And was yeah. it like was it like dog show love at first sight? Did you just get addicted to it and love it, or? Oh well, yeah, it's a hobby, and you you know it's a hobby that we enjoyed. Stuart didn't do a lot of that in those days. He was um, a very good cricketer and a very good footballer, mm. so he didn't go to most shows, only to the really big ones yep. in those days. But no, it, you know, it was our mutual hobby, and I I went to shows like we had shows every weekend. They still are, but. The entries in those days were a lot bigger and a lot harder to win, a lot, lot more competitive. Mm. And, uh, you know, we, we well, I went to dog shows every weekend, but sometimes both days. He seldom went to a normal show, but always to the big ones, the Royals and the Specialties, PAL International and all those things. Yeah. What, in terms of, you mentioned before as well, Chinese, Chinese crested. Yes. Is that and you said that was that a breed that you helped introduce into Australia? Yes, yes, wow. yeah. We saw them in England one time and um, got a couple straight away. There were a, a lady in Western Australia had brought one or two in, and then we brought ours in, and then they gradually, you know, a lot of other people brought them in. Uh, in those days, they were a self-limiting breed. They still should be genetically, but um, it's questionable now. We won't go there. Um, and uh, you were very, very hard to rear one. If you reared a puppy, a live puppy, you were lucky. Oh, so really? they were very, very limited breed. And they are really, although they're in the toy group, they're a little sighthound. They're built like a little sighthound. Oh. Long legs. Are they hunters yeah. as well? Like, would they hunt? Um, not seriously, um, no. 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 They're, but they're quite, um, they're very sighthound in their attitude. They're very independent and they're very confident and they're very. Um, own the ring type breed, you know. They're not again. They're not a man dependent yeah. breed. They don't want. They don't need a human to tell them what to do. So they might they might see a a, a, 
it's something to chase after, but when they get to it, not really know what to do with it. Like, oh, I've got it now. What uh, do I do? Oh, no, 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 not, not at all. Oh, really? But they're not, they're not hunt-minded like a sighthound, oh. but they uh, are very much built like a sighthound and they look like a sighthound in that type, that shape, that body type. But, um, oh, no, I mean, you know, if they've got a mouse, they, <laughs> they dispense with it. But they're not, they're not hunty like that. Like the sighthounds are very hunting. Uh, the crested aren't. They are a, a much more of a pet, you know, a lap dog, a toy dog, yeah, yeah. Uh, but a tough one, very tough. A tough, a tough toy dog. <laughs> so would would you like? Would you say that's been your contribution, your legacy to the dog world? The the Chinese cresteds coming in, or oh no, what what is, no, what no, is it? What's your what's your contribution to the You'd dog have world? Have a few, I think, Wendy. And feel free to pat yourself on the back. Afghan hounds particularly, um, um, and whippets, but I mean, I've been an administrator and a, oh, a judge forever, and we were the first people in the world to get puppies from frozen semen of any wow. breed anywhere. Um, and I've done oh, miles of, you know, administration stuff and been on my, miles of committees. Um, one of my friends who died about a year ago, he and I started the Junior Kennel Club. Um, and I, I it's just miles of stuff. <laughs> I couldn't single out any particular thing. Well, you were the president of um, Dogs New South Wales for a long time, weren't you? Uh, yeah, well, I was on all the um, uh, elected committees and appointed committees of management for long. I was only president for just over a year. It was a pretty torrid time, mm. as uh, Kim's family would well remember. Yeah. So I was only president for just over a year, but I'd been on committees since 1967, I think, and I was continuously on various management judges' training and stuff for a long, long time. So once you got into it, you really jumped into it, didn't you? Like, ah, yes. You didn't? Yeah. yeah really. It's been, it's fascinating. It, like, it really is. I, I love legacy stuff. Like, I love people that have had you know, really serious impact on things and maybe people don't understand. You know, there's people that walk around with Afghans now don't understand what your contribution was, but I think it's fantastic. I just do. Yeah, look, it was a very different world. Um, there were a number of us everywhere, mm. um, you know, Australia-wide, worldwide. There were a number of us that were, you know, absolutely at the mind face at that stage in dogs and it was the highlight time in Australia of dogs um, and most of us did it, you know. We were on committees and we did do this and we did think of that and we introduced other things and uh, it was just the way the world was. It's such a different world now that you, people couldn't really do it now. Mm. It's yeah. just not there. <laughs> and you've also bred some uh, great and uh, Afghans that have won at the Sydney Royal. And Yeah, well, I'm, we're the only breeders ever to have bred three different dogs to go best in show at Sydney Royal. Wow. And we bred best in show at Brisbane Royal twice and uh, runner-up at Brisbane Royal and puppy in show Brisbane Royal and twice puppy in show at Sydney Royal, which, again, nobody else has ever done. Um, Are they all, all Afghans or Afghans and Whippets? Yeah, no, they were Afghans. They were all Afghan okay. hounds, yes. Wow. Yeah. So is there some sort of record book, like a Guinness World Records of that, or it's not? Um, I don't think so. I don't think they'd be. I don't think they've ever been entered in anything like the Guinness hmm. World Record book. But I mean, all the Australian controlling bodies have, yeah. you know, have all their own history. Hmm. Yeah, they've all got all their own history of all the shows that were ever won and by whom, etc. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. So other people 
quaking fear when you walk into the Afghan ring. They go, oh, when there, was a, there, there was a time, but it ain't now. <laughs> Hang up your leads, folks. Well, We're not going to win this one. The numbers have dropped dramatically as well, haven't they? There's a lot oh, less Afghan. Yes, yeah, the numbers have just, you know, the whole show scene is so changed. It's impossible to um, to even compare it. But, I mean, in the heyday, the world accepted that the Australian Afghan hounds were the best in the world. Mm. And in, and at an ordinary show like you were at the other night, we would call that an ordinary show, a special right. one, but an ordinary show, we would have 350 to 400 Afghan hounds. Oh, <laughs> just, just Afghan. It was, wow. un, it was just massive. Wow. And, you know, if you, all the classes went from normally place one to eight. And, I mean, half the time if you got on the eight you thought you were very, very lucky. Yeah, the quality mm. was fantastic. Oh, yes. Yeah, if you're eight, if you're eight out of four hundred, you're amongst the elite, really, aren't you? Like, yes, really. and the Irish setters were the same at Sydney Royal every year. The biggest entries were Afghan hounds and Irish setters, and they were always in the three to five hundreds. Wow! And at Sydney Royal, we used to have one day for males and a second day for females because the entries were so big. So they big, you had to. Mm. And what sort of numbers mm. are we looking at now, like? Ten. Ten. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. So when you <laughs> say it's often. impossible. You might, you, know. you might get 20 at a royal. You yeah. might, um, just depending on, on the royal and who, where the judges come from and stuff like that. But yeah. uh, an average show now, uh, I think last um, the Australia Day show, I think there was um, a quick think, one, two, eight Afghan, eight adults mm. and a couple of babies. Mm. Wow. wow. That's a big drop from... From the, yeah. old, the old days. <laughs> yeah. But Kim, you used to get to a couple of hundred staffers, didn't you? Yep. There was no issue with getting 250 to 300. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what, what do you get? And they were, you, get you know, that was our normal entries. And uh, we used to have, you know, massive entries and with big breeds, uh, numerically big breeds, they would be waiting to do the group the group specials mm. for best in group, baby in group and stuff, they'd be waiting on two or three of the big breeds in each group to actually finish and they usually had a separate judge for those breeds. Mm. So one judge would do Afghans and one judge would do Staffords and then somebody else would do other breeds in the group mm. because they were, it was just so many they couldn't get through them in one day if they had more than, yeah. you know, those big breeds didn't have a separate judge. They couldn't get through them in time. So you'd have to make a weekend of it. Oh, only really did you have the two days mm. um, of, of breed judging. But the breed, the show itself, on the day itself, you know, we would get a 1,000 dogs regularly entered at those shows. Wow. That's amazing. And now if we get five or 600, we're thrilled. Mm. Yeah, you were, Kim was saying that that was like the Christmas show that we went to, that was quite a big turnout. Oh, it was a lovely entry. Mm. Really was a big mm. turnout. A good, uh, uh, you know, numerically a big entry overall, better than we've had since pre-COVID. Certainly, mm. I don't want to take any credit for it, but the dog show show had been running for a few weeks at that stage. So <laughs> oh, come on, I'm, yes. I'm, just I'm sure you were part of definitely <laughs> a reason for it. Look, definitely, oh there's got to be. It's got to be part of it. I'm not saying mm. we were entirely responsible, but. You know. <laughs> But you definitely take credit. <laughs> Any time it's around anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yes, well, so you should. <laughs> so, Wendy, what advice would you give to someone who's starting out in dog shows? I go to a lot of shows, and, and I mean a lot because there's so few 
animals there of the breed, so you need mm. to go a lot of times. Mm. Yep. Uh, and uh, talk to the breeders when they're out of the ring, you know, once they've been judged and they're outside of the ring and they can relax. Mm-hmm. So talk to breeders and try and learn everything that you possibly can about the breed, good and bad. Yep. Um, get hold of the breed standards. They're all published. And yeah. so get hold of the breed standards and study them. Mm. Uh, you don't necessarily say the dogs you see win are the best or the most correct. So that you've got to try to make up your own mind on that. But then go to the breeders that you find are, and hopefully they'll nearly all be friendly. So go to the breeders and if they'll let you, if they can, if they've got puppies, if you can just go and look at their puppies, even if you're not in, ready to buy one, but go yeah. and learn about it. And um, if you can, you know, start out, you buy the best dog you can possibly afford. Yeah. And uh, get help from your breeder to how to handle that particular breed, how to groom it, how to stack it, and, you know, what speed you should move it around the ring and sort of try and learn all the time keeping an, an open mind at a show to try and learn what's going on. Mm. And and then, you know, it's terrifying when you first go in the ring. Everybody, all of us have been terrified. It's a, it's a bit of a trial by fire. Um, mm-hmm. But if you're lucky, you'll get a decent judge that understands straight away that it's new to you and they're mm-hmm. very patient. And, uh, you know, most of them will take the time, uh, even if they can't do it while they're judging because they've got a time schedule. But if you go up to them after they're finished judging and ask them some questions, most of them are more than happy to try and tell you why they've done what they've done. Mm-hmm. And to explain, you know, in some breeds the head's terribly important, in other breeds it's more important for the movement, in some breeds coat is very important, and I don't mean that in Afghan hounds, I mean it more in uh, hand-stripped breeds and things like that where the mm. presentation of those coats is crucial to uh, a good dog winning. Mm. Um Unfortunately, you know, it's like everything else. If a little's good, then a much uh, much more is supposed to be fabulous. Mm. And that's where you're finishing up now, like the Afghans are turning into a cartoon, really. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a shame. As I said, the coat is in the texture of the coat and where the coat is on the body is in the breed standard and it's clearly defined and it's very important. Mm. But it's not a matter of the more, the better. You know, mm. they shouldn't just be judged. They shouldn't look like a, um, um, a drying, you know, clothes drying rack that you throw on a rug over. They shouldn't look like that. <laughs> That's <Right>. wrong. <laughs> Quite wrong. It's a good way to put it, though. Mm. <laughs> clothes drying rack. Very descriptive. That, that was the thing that we looked at. We went, man, it must be a nightmare to keep those dogs groomed, like just constant brushing. Uh, no, it's not. Actually, ideally, you shouldn't touch your coat between one path, but bath and the next, ideally. Oh, really? oh, right. uh, if you've got the correct coat texture, you give it a thorough bath and, and condition, blow it dry uh, once a week using a pure bristle um, Mason Pearson brush or a very good quality pin brush, and you put a, a good quality heavy comb through it, wide tooth comb, so yeah. you get behind the elbows and behind the ears and in the groin and all the danger points where the mats will occur. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And ideally, we never touched a dog between a bath. If they were being shown every weekend they were bath, every weekend they were blown dry and groomed, yeah. uh, we never touched them in between. It's become the thing now and it's ridiculous. And, um, yes, they, you know, people bath them three times a week now and stuff, so they're turning them into a a non-pet-friendly breed, which is completely wrong. They're a fabulous family dog, mm-hmm. and they shouldn't be feel, they shouldn't feel intimidated that they have to keep the dog up at that level mm. of coat care or, or don't buy one. You know, that's so wrong. That's ridiculous. And most, most of them, most of the pet ones, 
uh, are clipped off every year and they regrow about six to eight inches of hair in that time. It's easier to manage. They don't get any mats. They can drip dry uh, and they still look beautiful. So mm. that's, you know, it's just a, another thing that's happened, unfortunately, yeah. is too much emphasis altogether on the coat care and presentation and makes it a nightmare. <laughs> well, <laughs> actually, genuinely, you described what we were thinking was we thought that would be a nightmare, like to have to groom that dog. But That's right. And yeah. that's all. That's so wrong. Yeah. And that puts the family people off and they're the mm. most fabulous family dog. Mm. So, what makes them know. a good family dog? Oh, they're very calm. They're very self-possessed. They're not pests. Mm -hmm. They're not at you. They don't say throw the ball 500 times and I'll mm -hmm. bring it back. Um, you can walk into a room. There can be an Afghan hound in there lying on the lounge and you won't even know it's there. Mm -hmm. um, they, they've just got a presence about them and a, and a self-confidence. Um, the standard says they're aloof and dignified and fiercely independent and that's exactly what they should be. So they're not <laughs> a demanding breed. They don't make demands on you and they don't run and get the lead and run around with it in their mouth and you know do clever mm. things and <laughs> they don't beat you to the car if you're getting in the car they don't jump in on top of you and they're just very very calm and regal mm. and aristocratic and they'll just get themselves into the car quietly and calmly you know they're just uh, they're uh, uh, sight hounds are very much uh, the whole sight hound group is very much like that not just the afghan hounds sight hounds are very easy breeds to live with mm. So, and they're not normally dog aggressive at all or anything like that. Right, so they get on with other dogs and yeah, they're, yeah, gonna... they're packed. They're packed dog. They used to hunt a dog, a bitch, and a falcon, mm. and uh, they're very much a packed dog. They're not. Uh, they're not territorial at all. Mm. We might. They might need to be our next dog. <laughs> well, so long as you're happy with it, clipped off. Yeah, <laughs> ideal. So, ideal. So, what what would like for you? What would surprise? Um, like outsiders most about dog shows? What would be the thing that most people wouldn't? Oh, I think for most people they're overwhelming. Mm. Uh, there's so much is going on and people are running in and out of the ring and changing their armbands and, you know, all this is happening and it's all very busy while they're in the ring. Mm. Uh, and I think it's it's, it's almost like, a, you know, a, it's like Mars. It's like a strange planet. The first few <laughs> shows you go mm. to, you try and think out, well, What's you know, why did that... Here? Yeah, what's going on here exactly and where am I supposed to be and why have I got beaten and I called back into the ring because I'm already beaten but now I'm supposed to go back in. Uh, I think it's just, it's busy and it's um, it's distracting, um, very hard I think, unless you go with somebody nice that sort of sits with you at ringside and tells you what's happening. Mm. You know, this is the way it works. You start with the babies, you work up to the open classes, the dogs go in first and then there's two major winners come out of that and then the bitches go in and there's two major winners and then the top one from each sex goes in and depending who wins, the runner-up from that sex goes in. You know, it's all a bit much until you've sat there and understood what's going on. Mm. I think that's what would put most people off. Mm. Mm. And do you have, I'm assuming you have a routine for show day, but the thing we, Kim here has a special gold shoes that she wears when she's showing dogs. Yeah, a lot of any, people. Do you have any superstitions or anything no, like no, that? No, no, I personally don't at all. No. But a lot of people do that. They've got a favourite jacket, they've got favourite shoes, they wear a particular bracelet. Um, you know, it's it's just a, it's a hobby, but it's engrossing, and so naturally people have their lucky charms or their special routines or whatever. Do you have a routine for show day? Is it, is it or is it just a get up and get yeah, what we need yeah, to get done done? I mean, <laughs> 
Yeah, well, yeah, it's like, you know, you've got you do bath your dog the day before, you keep it immaculate, and, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, when you get to the show, yes, if it's uh, something like an afghan, you put it up on the grooming table and you brush through its coat again and mm-hmm. um, maybe spray it with, you know, lots of commercial sprays or um, just clean fresh water. You never, with a long-coated dog like an afghan, you never brush it. When the coat's dry, you always just put a mist of water or product or whatever just mm-hmm. over it when you brush it. If you brush it those big long coats if you brush them when they're really dry and especially say on uh, that heat on australia day you get this massive um, static electricity <laughs> you know you that the coat almost follows the brush um, <laughs> so yeah we always always spray the coats very lightly but we always have them damp mm-hmm. before we you know before we're ready to go in the ring you just dampen them down and get them just brush them for that second and then they're dry and you go straight in mm. and again if you win well, you've got to brush it again. <laughs> if you win in the breed, well, then you're brushing it up for the group. And if yep. you win in the group, you're yep. brushing it for general specials. So you might have to prepare to brush it a few times. Oh, yes, sure. <laughs> each time you're going to go in the ring, you would, in an adult dog, each time you're going to go in the ring, yes, you would flick a brush through its coat. Mm. Get a sore arm by the end of the day. You're best in show. <laughs> you brush the dog winning everything. Four, t- four times. Yes, yeah. <laughs> So what is we, we one more question and then we'll we'll kind of let you go. But what's your what's your top tips for show day? What are your top things that you just have to remember, can't forget, just have to do on show day? Oh well, much what I was saying about preparation. I mean, you get the dog ready Bring the day brush. before, or you do whatever you do during the week for your preparation. Uh, but, you know, you try and take that dog out on show day in it the best possible condition you can present it mentally and physically. Uh, and, you know, obviously you hope you've got a good one and you hope that it, um, you've got a judge that appreciates what you're putting in front of them. Mm-hmm. And then the judge's job is to work through that breed standard and try to apply as many hallmarks of that breed as they can to that particular animal. Mm. So firstly, you're judging the dog against the breed standard, mm. and then you're judging those dogs against each other. Mm-hmm. So there's no particular tip except having, as I said, your dog in the best condition Definitely. you can present it in and uh, handling it well, um, you know, and paying attention. And if the judge says, round the ring, well, he gets cross if you just wander out and wander back. Or if he says a triangle and he makes it clear what a triangle is and he points it out to you, you know, from here to that corner along there and back to me. Well, if you then go around the ring in a circle, yeah. that's aggravating. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we're judging, we've got two minutes per dog is all we've got mm-hmm. to get that dog assessed against the breed standard and then assessed against anything that's in the ring against it. So, you know, and you've got to, to keep up to that direction. speed. You've, and you've got to keep up that pace. You've got mm-hmm. to get... Every dog's paid the same entry, so they all have to get that same initial maximum of two minutes. You mm-hmm. don't see them go around and think, well, I don't like that one, and that looks like it's not properly groomed, or and just mentally dismiss it. You can't do that. You've mm-hmm. got to spend initially exactly the same amount of time on every dog that's in that class, and as I said, get them sorted in your mind, that what's nearest, in your opinion, to the breed standard, and then assess them one, two, three. Mm-hmm. So there's no actual. I don't have any tips other than that. Mm. And like I said, bring a brush. 
<laughs> oh, well, I mean, with our breed, of course, I mean, you always have a brush, you have a comb, you have your water spray or your product spray, you have a grooming cable. Always you need to have a rug of some sort so it's not lying down on the dirt. Mm, of course, um, yeah. All of those. But that's just management, you know. Yeah. It's nothing. It's not one-upmanship type stuff. No. It's just essentially the showing a, yeah, if you're showing a coated breed, of course, you must have a brush and a comb and mm. be able to keep it clean and... Uh, mm. What about a snood? Do you need a snood? Oh, yeah, well, they wear, the, they wear the snoods because when they drink or when they eat, they put their heads down and their ear fringes fall down oh. while they're eating and drinking. And especially when they're eating, you know, they go to pick up a, a, a piece of meat and the ear fringe is all sort of stuck to the, yes. the meat. And then they'll just chew it anyway. So, uh, you know, the ends of your ears all become chewed off and tatty looking and mm. it's all again part of the presentation That's so right. yes they do wear snoods definitely when you're feeding them they wear snoods giving them water on a hot day like um the other day when they're you know slobbering in the water you put a snood on for sure some people's dogs wear snoods all the time um a lot of them are wrapped up like the poodle ears you know they're wrapped up with and banded so that they don't have to have a snood on but their ears aren't trailing in their food or in their mm-hmm. water Mm. Um, it's just, you know, again, it's, that's just basic maintenance and presentation. Mm. Mm. So like when we tell our daughter to tie her hair back when she's eating dinner because it gets in her food. Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> she wouldn't look good in a snood. Yeah. <laughs> but there's times where we probably actually might go buy a snood. That's exactly what it's, it, 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 it's, an, it's a, Officially, it's a simple basic management of your dog. And then, obviously, it was presented beautifully. And the more you've got that finish on the coat, the more beautiful the coat looks, the more the ears look. That's all part of the effect, and certainly it's going to be part of a judge's decision. Mm. I'm just going to go and Google snoods. I'm going to buy one for Natalie. (laughs) (laughs) The other question we wanted to ask you is we're going to ask everybody is... um, the prefix Kalahora, where did you get that from, Wendy? How did you um, come by that? Yeah, name? well, um, I, I have no idea why, but I think I'm actually a Spanish gypsy. And <laughs> we loved um, things to do with Spain. We loved the opera Carmen and all those sorts of things. Mm. So we went looking for a prefix that was Spanish, that had a bit of meaning and sounded nice. And we came up with Kalahora. It's actually a castle in Spain. Um, it's near San Sebastian in the northwest of Spain, but in the film Il Cid, that's actually filmed at Calahorra, uh, the the Calahorra Castle, but they transposed it all cleverly to make it look like it was on the the sea, you know, mm-hmm. for, the, for the invasion of the Moors and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lovely word. I love Calahorra. I love the I love the history of Il Cid. I love, I've been lucky and been to uh, Calahorra itself and I love the whole San Sebastian area. It's just wonderful. Um, and so we got it and it's on goats and it's on ponies and it's on cats. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> we, we had it registered on everything we were breeding. It was all bred under Calahorra. Okay, so I'm part of my ignorance, but prefix. So if a dog is your dog, it's a Calahorra Afghan hound. Is that what we'd say? Is that... Am I right? Well, you, if you had a, if you had a dog for me, his registered name would be something like, you know, say Calahorra Twilight. Time. Oh, okay. That would be oh, his registered yes. name. Okay. Okay. He'd be in the catalogue as Calahorra Twilight Time. So if you looked okay. up a catalogue at a dog show, you'd say, oh, that's a Calahorra. Okay, cool. And we and we know that's of one of your dogs. Yes, that's yeah. mine. And then everybody has their own uh, Right. Or suffix you can have now. I think. 
Sorry, what was that? I think you can have a suffix now too, can't yes, you? Yes, you can now. Yes, no. you couldn't, but you can. So it can now be of Kalahora. I just learned something Kalahora. new. All oh, right. Yeah, but we couldn't have that uh, in Australia. You could have it in other parts of the world, but we only only ever had it as a prefix. But yeah. then um, the rules have relaxed, and it's very nice. And we can now wangle another breeder's prefix into our dog's registered name. There's a uh, couple of ways of doing it. But now we can have two names on the dog, two kennel names, which is very nice. Mm. You know, if you work in partnership with another person if you're for acknowledging a long, long time. Other, mm. And, yeah, respect them prefix. And, you know, the father might be bred by them and the mother might be bred by somebody else altogether. And then you can have your own prefix. But you can now incorporate another person's prefix mm. as an affix or a suffix as well, which is nice. So just a way of acknowledging the yes, father and yes. the mother of the, bre- of the dog. Yeah, right. yes. It's, it's just nice. We can incorporate um, the prefix of the other breeder. Wonderful. Mm. Any other questions, ladies? No? Good. Yeah. Not good? Yeah, is there anything you want to say, Wendy? Oh, only that I think what you're doing is so desperately important. Oh, um, thank you. We've got to get, you know, we just have to get to the public. We're far too isolationist. We're being driven underground by the Greenies and the Animal Justice Party and so on, and we're becoming harder and harder to find good breeders, well, not even good breeders, <laughs> harder and harder to find registered breeders of purebred dogs. We're up against, really up against it. And mm. anything that people like yourself are doing to uh, get to the public and try and make our world a little more easily comprehended by them and get those people back to buying purebred dogs for their family pets, mm. that's, you know, it's so important. That's our survival. So it's good. Anything like that that you're doing is great. Well, oh, thank you. Thank you for thank you for sharing your experience and your knowledge and your expertise. And you taught us something new. Taught me something new. Not Kim. Kim knew, but I didn't. <laughs> 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 that was that was awesome. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me.